<laughs> hey, open your Bibles to James chapter 5 and then 1 Kings chapter 19. James chapter 5 and 1 Kings chapter 19. And while you're turning there, first of all to James 5, uh, let me say thank you to everybody who volunteered this weekend with City Serve. Uh, we had a great time yesterday. We, we were over at Oak Grove School. We painted several classrooms and pressure washed the building and cleaned off the roofs and all the gutters and that kind of stuff. And they did some other things as well. We had a great time. And I know a lot of you volunteered at different parks and different places across the city. Some of you volunteered right here at the bridge. I just want to say thank you so much. And I know there are some other projects going on today we may have some people involved in. I just want to say thank you. We're making a difference in our community. And I think us serving God by serving others is what God has called us to do. So thank you so very much. Let's, let's pray this morning before we get into God's Word, okay? Father, we thank you today for your Word. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your Word and upon our lives. And I just pray today, the next few minutes, that you would allow your Word to just come alive, that you would speak to each and every one of us in this place today and grow our relationship with you. And I'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I want to talk to you about hearing the voice of God. Hearing the voice of God. And actually, I'll probably take today and next Sunday as well talking about this subject. In January, we spent a few weeks talking about prayer, about conversation with God, talking to God and then listening to God. But I think when we start talking about hearing from God and hearing the voice of God, it, it can be really intimidating because it's a very spiritual thing and I think some of us are waiting for God to rattle the walls with his voice and we hear an audible voice. And the truth of the matter is God speaks to all of us in different ways. But we also find from his word that he not only speaks to us individually differently, but there are a number of different ways in which God gets his word and his information and his direction into our lives. We need to be aware of that. What I want to do this morning, I want to begin in James chapter 5. I want you to look at verse 17. I want to talk about Elijah. James 5, verse 17 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18 says, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Those two simple verses tell us a number of things. If, if you put it in context, it's really talking about prayer, and it's encouraging us to pray. And it starts out saying that Elijah, now Elijah was a very famous prophet in the Old Testament. It said Elijah was a man like us. He had passions. He had a, a, a carnal nature, a, a natural man like us. He had his strengths, but he had his weaknesses. Yet he was a man who prayed, and when he prayed earnestly, it didn't rain for three and a half years. How many of you think that was a pretty powerful prayer? Pray, and it doesn't rain for three and a half years. If you live, if you live in California, that's no big deal. We see that all the time. I mean, but, but it happened because this man didn't pray, because he, because he prayed. He prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. But then it says, after three and a half years, he prayed again, and the rain started again. It's quite a story. Well, well the interesting part of that is that God answers our prayers. And God responds to us when we talk to him. And God wants us 
to be in conversation and communication with him. But if you go back and look in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19, there's three chapters there that tell the story that's summed up here in two verses. And there's, in those three chapters, it really covers three and a half years and about 40 or 45 more days. So in those three chapters, it covers a lot of the life of Elijah. But I want to show you some things this morning about the life of Elijah. And if I could, before we read from 1 Kings 19, let me just tell you the story of Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah shows up on the scene and suddenly it talks about this man who's known as Elijah the Tishbite and he walks up to the king Ahab and he says, Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. And he walks away. That's kind of his introduction to the king. That's our scriptural introduction to Elijah. He just shows up and says, no more rain until I say so. And then we find that a series of events begins to take place. Ahab was the king at that time, an ungodly king, married to a woman named Jezebel. They brought false worship, the worship of Baal, into the land. They brought in the worship of Asherah. They had these foreign gods and false gods that they brought into the land, and they took the entire nation and hijacked it spiritually and went in the wrong direction. So Ahab called upon the promise of God. God said, if you turn your back on me, I'll stop the rain. So, Ahab, or so, so Elijah said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then what happens is Ahab begins to persecute the prophets. And the prophets go into hiding. So here's what happens. God says, okay, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. Go to the brook called Cherith, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. He heard the voice of God, and he stopped the rain. He heard the voice of God, and he went to the brook. And sure enough, he goes to the brook, and there's water flowing there. He's got water for his, his, his needs, and ravens bring him fresh meat every day. Every day they're bringing him meat. They're feeding him every day until the brook dries up. Why did the brook dry up? Because he stopped the rain. The brook dries up and God says, okay, here's the second part of this plan in this three and a half year window here. He said, I want you to go to a foreign land, a place called Zarephath. I have commanded a widow to take care of you there. So he hears the voice of God and he takes off on this journey. He goes to Zarephath. He arrives in town and hears this widow. And I'm sure Elijah's thinking, oh, God's got this rich widow there, and she's got this amazing ranch, and she's got all these cattle. It's going to be an amazing place to stay. He gets there, and here's this widow gathering sticks to make a fire because she's getting ready to cook her last meal for herself and her son. So he walks up and says, hey, uh, give me some water. And she says, okay, I got a little bit of water. Here's some water. He says, fix me something to eat. And she says, all I have is this little bit of meal. I'm going to cook it for me and my son, then we're going to lay down and die. We've reached the end of our road. Let me ask you a question. Did Elijah need the widow or did the widow need Elijah? I think it works both ways, doesn't it? And so Elijah says, wait a minute, you cook it for me, give it to me, and God will take care of you. So she did so in faith. And what happens? That meal barrel never ran dry until the drought was over and the seed began to yield once again. And that cruise of oil, that vessel of oil, never ran dry until the famine was over and the drought was gone. God worked this miracle, and this widow kept him there. Well, over a period of time, her son died. Elijah heard the voice of God and raised the kid from the dead. 
I mean, this, this story just goes on and on like this. And then one day God speaks to him and says, okay, it's time to go back to your land. Go to the king, go find Ahab and tell him we're going to have a contest and see who God really is. So Elijah goes back, tells Ahab this. Now remember, Ahab has been looking for Elijah. He's been wanting to kill him. He comes back and tells him, you get all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of Asherah there, we're going to have a contest. And they have this contest all day long, and the false prophets call on their God, and they get no answer. And then Elijah digs this big pit, big trench around this altar, builds an altar, takes a bullock, cuts it in pieces, puts it on the altar, calls on the name of God after he pours water all around the altar, calls on the name of God, and then fire comes from heaven and just consumes the altar and the sacrifice and licks up all the water in the trench. And all the people fall on their face and say, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah, still hearing the voice of God, takes 850 prophets and kills them all himself. Takes him down to the book, kills every one of them. That's a day's work right there, 850 of them. He finishes this, and then he goes up on the mountain and begins to pray and says, okay, God, I'm asking for you to send rain. Send the rain, oh God, send the rain. He looks and waits. He prays seven times. And all of a sudden, he sees a, a little cloud like a man's hand. He said, that's it, that's the sign. And he sends word to the king and says, rain is coming. And then he takes off running down the road for several miles, and he outruns the king's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Now, this guy's busy, crazy busy. And he gets to Jezreel, and he gets there, and he's, he's exhausted from all this stuff that's going on. And the next day, he hears word from Jezebel, Ahab's wicked wife. And she says, by this time tomorrow... You're going to be a dead man, just like my prophets. And all of a sudden, weary, tired, he's been fighting the battle. He gets terrified, and he takes off running. He goes to, to Bathsheba, he, he, or Beersheba. He leaves his servant there. He goes on down the road a full day's journey in the wilderness and hides there. Sits down under a tree and says, God, you might as well kill me. I want to die. I poured out my life. I did everything, and still the people want to kill me. They hate me. The people weren't after him. It was Jezebel who was after him. But all of a sudden, he sees the dark side of everything. He's having this pity party. Everything's wrong. And all the angel of the Lord shows up on two occasions and fixes him a meal. And then he goes 40 days further into the wilderness. Now, I've told this long story because I, I want you to hear the story. He goes 40 days into the wilderness... He goes into a cave to hide, and all he can say is, Oh, God, everybody's forsaken you. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll eat worms. I might as well die. It's just not worth living anymore. And he can't hear the voice of God, and he can't get direction from God. But there in that cave... God taught him a lesson from which we can learn today that will help us understand some things about the voice of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had moments in life when it seemed like you couldn't hear from God? Have you ever had moments when you needed direction and it seemed like, man, it's just nothing, nothing, the line's dead, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. We're going to talk today about hearing the voice of God. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, this is a story that happens in the cave. 1 Kings 19 verse 11 says this. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. 
Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, what? An earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, Go, return. And there's more to that verse. I'm not going to read all of it. Go, return. Go, return. Go back where you just came from. That 41-day journey, retrace your steps and go back where you came from. Now skip down to verse 18. I want to show you one more verse. This is the last thing the Lord says to him. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This morning I want to ask a very simple question of you. The first part of this message, I want to ask you, how do you make the important decisions of your life? See, every one of you makes important decisions. From time to time, big things come up. How do you make those important decisions? How do you deal with the big questions of life? What do you do with those situations? I found through the years that there are three things that tend to make decisions for people. Notice what I said. I found through the years there are three things that tend to make most of our decisions for us. The first one is the wind. The wind. It's interesting that Elijah in this cave, in this desperate place, tired, weary, discouraged, not knowing what to do, which direction to go, not having a direction for his life and his ministry that's been so powerful and so great. This guy who stopped the rain for three and a half years and then brought the rain back. This guy who called down fire from heaven. This guy doesn't know where to go next. Standing in this cave, God passes by and there's this wind, strong, strong wind. We know what strong winds are. We get Santa Ana winds from time to time. But think about it. The wind begins to blow like crazy. All kinds of things begin to happen. But God's not in it. It's amazing how many times in life the wind makes decisions for us. You say, well, what do you mean by that? In Scripture, we see that wind oftentimes is used as an influencing force. People are influenced by new winds of doctrine that blow through town. Wind is something that tends to push us in a direction. If you're out on the sea in a boat and the wind begins to blow, you'll start going wherever the wind is blowing and you start moving right along. In life, oftentimes, we don't like resistance. We like things to be smooth and easy. We want everything to just fall right into place. And so when the wind begins to blow, oftentimes we just go where the wind's blowing because we don't want to have to stand against the wind. I think one of the things I see in this passage of Scripture is that the wind would probably be our nearest natural influences. 
most likely people. I've seen through the years, even Christians, we make decisions based on what other people tell us we need to do. And sometimes that's good. I'll talk about that more later. But sometimes we're influenced by the wrong people. Sometimes we're influenced by the wrong winds. Moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, brothers, sisters, children, cousins, people we work with, our boss, this person, that somebody who's our close friend that we think is really cool, well, we sure can't go against their opinion. We got to do what they tell us to do. We're influenced by people around us. And when their wind begins to blow in the middle of decisions, we say, well, I don't know what to do. What do I do? God, I don't hear your voice. What do I do? And a friend says, well, here's what you need to do. Oh, okay, that's what I do. And what do we do? We let the wind blow us in a direction. And it may be good, but it may not be good. I think God has a better idea than that. And, and then the second thing we see in this picture, Elijah standing in the mouth of this cave, and after the wind, there's an earthquake. Well, we know what earthquakes are. I mean, we live in earthquake country. We experience them from time to time. We know what an earthquake does. I mean, when an earth begins to shake, it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You stop, and it's got your total attention. But isn't it true that in life that sometimes things happen, and we just immediately draw an obvious conclusion and say, well, it must be this, or it must be that. Let me give you a good example of that. I think we oftentimes draw obvious conclusions from things that are not obvious. For example, maybe you're driving to church one day and on Sunday morning you're driving down the road and all of a sudden mm, the car begins to feel funny and something's not right here and you pull over to the side of the road and you look and you get a flat tire. Oh my gosh, the, the tire's flat. Well, obviously it's not God's will for me to go to that church anymore. Now, I'm, I'm going to be really ornery this morning, okay? And, and the good news is this is two-week series, so you get to get it next week too. But I'm going to be really, really, really on me this morning. I'm going to tell you, some of the people who have the hardest time, time making wise decisions in life are super spiritual people because they're always looking for wind or earthquake or something to help them make decisions. And if there's no wind and there's no earthquake, then it's probably not God. Elijah's standing there in the mouth of the cave and God passes by. There's the wind. There's the earthquake. Must be God. But it says God was not in the earthquake. How many times in life do things happen and you look at it and you say, well, obviously it's not God's will for this or it's not God's will for that. Did you know we have an adversary, the devil, who's all the time trying to gum up the works and create problems? Did you know if you look at obvious conclusions all the time, the enemy is going to keep you running in circles going all kinds of directions? We don't need obvious conclusions to guide our lives. We need God guiding our lives, speaking into our lives. But then there's a third thing we see here. And after we see the wind, after, after we see the earthquake, then this fire begins to just burn up everything around him. But it says God wasn't in it. I think fire is probably a great illustration of passion. Passion, emotions. Everybody smile at me this morning. Have you ever made an emotional decision? Oh, that's the most beautiful car ever. I have to have that car. But when the third payment comes due, it's like, I'm tired of this payment. We make emotional decisions. 
I mean, our emotions get all stirred up and, boy, we make decisions because this feels so good or so exciting or this feels bad, so we don't do that. We let the fire, the emotions of life move us in a direction. And oftentimes we make our decisions based on that. Now, here's the problem. Why am I taking time to talk about this? Because influence of people, obvious conclusions, and emotions will cause you to miss God's best for your life. We need to learn to know and hear and follow the voice of God. Elijah's standing there, these three things pass by, and it's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And then he hears a still, small voice. We're going to talk about hearing God's voice. But let me just give you some guidelines real quickly that I think we need to understand about hearing the voice of God. The first is God responds to us based on the attitude of our hearts. God speaks to us and God responds to us based on the attitude of our hearts. You, you say, what do you mean by that? Let me illustrate it this way. In, in nautical terms, you know, sailing terms, the word attitude speaks of not just where you are, but the, the direction you're facing and the direction that you're headed. So in nautical terms, when somebody says, what's your attitude? You tell them your attitude and that will tell you, that will tell them where you are headed, which direction you're going. I think sometimes the attitude of our hearts gets wrong and we stop hearing God because God says, you know what? Until you get that ready to go in the right direction, I really can't give you a whole lot of input. I think sometimes we get ourselves in bad places because our hearts have got wrong motives. And you look at Elijah here. I mean, Elijah's going along great. He's hearing from God. He's hearing from God. He's doing these amazing things, one thing after another. He's just living this life of faith and life of miracles. And all of a sudden, he hears from Jezebel, and the fire begins to burn inside of him, and he loses sight of God's will, and he runs 41 days into the wilderness. And he's lost, doesn't know where to go. He's ready to give up and quit. God, just let me die. Have you ever been there? Just let me die. His heart is in all the wrong places. And I love what happens. God just shows up and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? How many of you know when God asks you a question like that, he's not looking for information. He doesn't need you to educate him. He needs you to understand where you are and what got you there. Elijah, what are you doing here? The whole attitude of his heart had gotten so wrapped up in his own feelings, he lost sight of God's purposes and plans because for a while there, it was all about Elijah. It was all about Elijah. I think another thing that's important, God is often a God of few words. Anybody ever notice that? It doesn't take God a long time to say a lot. And usually he's real clear and real distinct because what God does is he speaks to us in language that we understand. When God speaks something personal to me, it's really clear. I know what he's saying. He has the ability to do that. His spirit just drills it into our spirit. It's like, yeah, I get it, God. But God is a God of few words and he has impeccable timing. And I think some of us sometimes think, well, you know what? I want to hear from God 20 times a day. 
and I want to hear from God 20 times a day, every single day, and I just want to live this life where all I do is just sit around and listen to God. You know what? God gives you instructions. It's probably going to take you a while to follow up. And so God says, okay, here's your instructions. Go do that, and then come back, and we'll talk about what's next. But how many of you want to know chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way to the end of the book? God, if you give me all the answers to the end of the book, I'm ready to go. Okay, download. And we sit there for six months, and God's not downloading because he downloaded chapter 1, and we haven't acted on chapter 1 yet. Which brings me to the next point. God is oftentimes silent until we complete his last instructions. That's good. That's a good one. God, what are you going to speak to me? As soon as you obey me. God, I need to hear from you, and I need you to obey me. I need you to act in faith. See, God gives us instructions, and he wants us to follow up. Oh, God, I need new revelation. Oh, God, I need a spiritual experience. And God says, no, you don't. You need to get up and be practical and go do what I told you to do. This is good today. Some of you will go home thinking, that was good. <laughs> Another thing, God's voice is always going to keep us on a journey of faith. God's voice will always keep us on a journey of faith. You know, we, we taught a series last year out of Hebrews 11. Talked about the fact that the just shall live by their faith. Not just the just shall believe one time. The just will live by their faith. And if you look at Elijah's situation, God moved him from step of faith to step of faith to step of faith. To the brook, to the widow, back to Ahab, over to the mountain, to this place, to that place. God's moving him along. But every time God speaks, he's continuing that journey of faith. Some of us have got it in our hearts and our minds. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who put it there. But some of us have got confused and we think, well, when I finally hear from God, I'm not going to have any more struggles and it's going to be okay for the rest of my life. No, it's not. It's going to put you in another place of faith. Well, if I can just hear from God, I won't have to depend on him anymore. No. When you hear from God, he puts you in a place where you continue to depend on him. We need to get our hearts around that. And then finally, I don't think God takes responsibility for where I go on my own. Well, I'm really going to play with somebody's theology now. I really don't think God takes responsibility for where I choose to go on my own. Well, God, what am I doing out here? God says, I don't know. I didn't tell you to go there. <laughs> well, God, you got to do something about this. I love what he said to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? I didn't tell you to come here. I didn't send you out here. Jezebel scared you off and you went running. I didn't do this. Well, what do I do now? God says, retrace your steps. 40 days, yep, 40 days, turn around and head back. See, I think we have to take responsibility for the choices we make in life. See, I've seen people make bad choices in life and be mad at God the rest of their life. Well, God, why don't you fix all this? And God says, because I didn't do it. We get so childish sometimes about God. We have to grow up and mature and realize if I make a mistake, I go to God and say, God, obviously I messed this up. I want to make it right. I want to get right with you, get my heart right. I want to go in the right direction. If you have that attitude, a broken and a contrite heart and spirit, God will turn the thing around and get you going in the right direction again. But when our hearts are not right, it creates problems for us. So how do I hear the voice of God and how can I be led by God? Let me talk about a few ways. First of all, I want to talk to you this morning about obvious ways that God will lead us. Can I 
Can I be so bold as to tell you it's not just obvious ways? It's practical ways that God will lead us. Because there's some of us that we don't understand that God oftentimes works in very practical ways. And some of us think if there's no earthquake and if there's no wind and there's no fire, then God's not in it. But Elijah found out it was just the opposite. Some of us are chasing, chasing earthquakes and fires and winds and wanting God to do all this crazy, unusual stuff. And God is saying, man, I've given you so much information. What's wrong with what I've already told you? Number one, God speaks to us and God leads us by his word. This is good preaching. God leads us by his word. Do you know how you learn to develop a normal godly life? It's by reading this book. This is how you learn to live a normal, godly, stable life by, living, by reading this book. Psalms 119 tells us, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp on my feet. Now, I preach this every now and then, but let me just take a minute and give it to you again. Your word is a lamp on my feet. It shows me where I am, and it's a light to my path. It shows me where I need to go next. Let me talk to the men for a minute. A few days ago, I had the glorious, unenviable chore of having to install some new appliances in a house. You say, why, why do you say that? Because it, it's so frustrating when you get ready to install new appliances and they give you a 17-page book to follow. Does any man in the house need that book to install those things? Who needs that? I know you're afraid to say anything because your wife's sitting there. I know what's going on. She's elbowing you already. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. We, have, we, talk, we already talked about this at home. Don't say anything. I think so many times people say, oh, God, please give me, give me supernatural direction for my life. What do I do? God says, it's right there. As a matter of fact, I didn't want you to miss it, so I wrote it down so you could read it several times and memorize it and know exactly what I told you. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I want something spiritual. That's not spiritual. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. You won't get anything more sure and anything more spiritual than this word right here. He gave us this to build our lives on. Well, I just want some new revelation. We'll open the book and start reading. Now, I know, I know, and I, and I, I share this too. Uh, this book can be overwhelming. There's a lot in here. We can help it. We can show you where to start reading and how to start growing. The point is, God gave us his word to lead us. And it's amazing how many Christians can be walking with God for 25 years and still not understand the basic principles of walking with God. You know why that is? It's because we've never taken the time to read the book and understand what it says. Well, I want something more spiritual than that. You don't get anything more spiritual than that. This is as spiritual as it gets right here. It's the revelation of God. I know I'm treading all over Pentecostals this morning. Stay with me. I'll get to something spiritual for you in a few minutes, okay? spiritual. Can I tell you something else? Hebrews says this word is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can even differentiate between soul and spirit. It'll tell you what's your soulish man wanting something and what's of the Spirit of God. It helps you understand. 
We need to know this word, not so much the book of maps. I, I don't need to get stuck there, but we need this word. This word makes us grow. It's the word of God that grows us. It's the word of God that matures us. It's the word of God that lets us know who God is, what he's like, and what he's going to do. Well, I don't know what God's going to do in my life. Well, read his promises, and you'll know. He tells you what he's going to do in your life. He tells you what you can depend on. He builds your faith right out of this word. Well, I wish God would speak to me. He wants to speak to you every day. Many mornings, I, I get up fairly early a lot of mornings. Many mornings, I'll open up the Bible. It may be on my phone or my iPad. It may be the actual Bible. I'll open it up and begin to read. Sometimes I'm reading systematically. Sometimes I'll read something that, that's of interest to me or something that I'm thinking about or something that I feel like my heart needs encouragement with. But I'll open up Scripture and I'll begin to read it. And, you know, I'm not the guy that reads 10 chapters a day. I'm the guy that reads over and over again what I feel God's speaking to me until I get it in here. And it gets stuck in here and it begins to work in here. God leads us by his word. Some of the most powerful moments I've ever had with God was sitting reading the Bible when all of a sudden as I was reading, the words jumped off the page and God says, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do right here. And it's like, wow, I believe it. And God says, see, I wrote it down so you couldn't miss it. It's right there. It's right there. We need to make time and space for God's Word. Because one of the things I've learned is, the longer I walk with God, there are times when I have to make decisions and I'll be praying about something. And all of a sudden, while I'm praying about something, a verse of Scripture will just jump up out of my spirit. It just jumps up inside of me. And I'll go look it up. And when I find that verse and put it back in context and read it, oftentimes the answer I'm looking for is right there. The direction is right there. But I got it in my spirit. I got it in me. And God will use that Word. God speaks to us and He directs us by His Word. He does that. A second way, a second way is that God leads us through wisdom. I was reading again last night Proverbs, the first couple of Proverbs, one and two. So powerful what he says in there. He says, wisdom is crying out on the streets. Wisdom, wisdom's crying out in the streets just looking for somebody who will listen who wants to follow and if you obtain wisdom everything else in life you ever need and want it's right there for you but it starts with wisdom as a matter of fact proverbs 2 says my son if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding yes if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then you will understand the fear of the lord and find the knowledge of god give me two minutes to explain this to you as you read through the proverbs there are three words you find over and over again that are so important. The first word is knowledge. Everybody say knowledge. knowledge. We know what knowledge is. It's to know something. God gives us knowledge. The next word is the word understanding. Everybody say understanding. Understanding is not just to have knowledge of something, but it's to take the whole thing apart, look at all the pieces, and understand how it works. So there's knowledge of something, there's the understanding of what it is and how it works and what it's capable of doing, and then the third thing is the word wisdom, which is the action that we take based on knowledge and understanding. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You want to get really spiritual? Go on a journey. There's 31 Proverbs. Read one proverb a day 
every day of the month. You want to get wise? You want to know how to stop making bad decisions? You want to know how to keep from falling into traps over and over and over again? Read the Proverbs. I've learned from reading the Proverbs, and, and you know, probably once a year, I'll take a month and I'll go through the Proverbs. And every time I go through there, I highlight Proverbs, whether it's in my written, or my written Bible here, or whether it's on my iPad I, or my phone, I highlight Scripture as I go. And what I'll find is every time I'm going through Proverbs, different months and different years and different situations, there are different words of wisdom that just jump out and grab my attention. God will speak to you right off those pages. And I wind up adding more and more highlighted colors. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'll change colors when I go through Proverbs the next time just to go back and look at all the new things that I felt God showed me was important for that time in my life. Perfect example. Let me give you a great example. How many of you had to learn the hard way that it's a bad thing to co-sign on somebody else's loan? You ever learned that one the hard way? That's in the Scripture in there. That's right there in Proverbs. Don't be surety for somebody else. Go on, you can smile at me now. I'm not trying to put condemnation on you. But God directs our footsteps through wisdom. He gives us wisdom so we don't fall into the pit. One time, years ago, I was pastoring a church, and I, and I had, to, had a situation where I had an employee who was causing all kinds of havoc. The whole staff was all in an uproar, and... Everybody got their doors closed, and nobody wanted to talk to this guy, and he got caught in some lies, and all kinds of things were happening. It was just ugly. And I knew in my heart, man, I've, I've got to make a change. I've got to let this guy go. And, you know, I don't like confrontation, and I don't like to have to be the bad guy, especially when you're the pastor, but it was my responsibility to deal with it. So the day came, and I was going to do it, and I got up early that morning, and my, my heart was just kind of like, oh, man, I don't want to have to do this. I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to open up Proverbs. And I opened up the proverb for the day, and I'm reading along, and here's the verse. Cast out the scoffer, and trouble will cease. It's like God said, you got to do it. You got to You know what? God's Word is full of wisdom. We need to take time to know God's Word because God directs us and leads us through His wisdom. Let me give you one more example today. God oftentimes will speak to us through other people. Have you ever had somebody come up and, and share a word that you knew was from God? Have you ever had somebody do that? Somebody come up and share something? Wow, man, that's, that's good. I need to hear that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will inspire people to speak to us. But you know what else? Sometimes you'll get wisdom from other people who know things that you don't know. Let me read you a couple verses here. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Six years ago, closer to seven years ago now, we, we were in a crisis situation here at the church. The recession was on, uh, finances were so tight we were in a tough situation we had metal ruse taxes and property taxes here at the church our property taxes at that time including metal ruse was two hundred and fifty six thousand dollars a year we'd had that for ever since we moved into this building it, it was choking us and with the recession it, it was tough and in, in all reality it, it, was a, it was a noose around our neck. 
And I kept praying about it, saying, God, what are we going to do? God, we need a miracle. God, we need a miracle. One day God spoke to me, and he said, you need to talk to somebody that knows more than you know. I thought, well, it won't take long to find that. So I went and talked to my wife. And, <laughs> and she said, no, you, you, need, you, need, you need to talk to somebody that knows. So you know what I did? I called together three or four or five men from the church who deal in the realm of, of government and, and building and finance and, and different aspects, got them all together, laid the whole picture out and said, what do we do with this? We put together a plan, and one of the guys was sitting there, and while we're sitting there, he says, you know, what if we change our lot lines? Now, our property here, we own three lots. He says, what if we change our lot lines? What if we move our lot lines? Will that help us? He said, I just think there's something about that. So we went to the county, and we, we sat down with the county, and we explained to them, man, you, you guys are choking us, you're killing us, this is unfair, we can't keep doing this. And they listened to us, and they said, well, we wish we could help, but we don't really know what we can do. So we'll put you in touch with somebody, because if you do redraw those lot lines, it will give you a little bit of relief. Now, I didn't understand how this all works, but okay, fine. So we met the county. We came back home. They said, let us look at this for a few weeks and come back in. We come back in, and here's what they said. They said, we found out that the Mellow Roofs are being paid off too quickly. It's like a 14-year project. It's, it's, been, it's way ahead of schedule. So we're going to scale back the payments. So you're going to save 10%. I thought, well, 10%, that's wonderful, but that's not going to solve our problem. They said, but, but we've also determined that every, every lot, every lot in the vicinity where you are, in that whole district there, every lot in this Melrose district that is vacant is not going to be taxed as long as there are no buildings on the property. So if you'll change your lot lines and put your building in one driveway on one lot and put your parking lots on the other two lots, it'll greatly reduce your tax load. We went from $256,000 a year to $60,000 a year in a day. We walked out of the meeting and one of the guys looked at me and his eyes got big and he said, I have never seen government solve people's problems like that. <laughs> you know what? That was a miracle of God. But it came through wisdom. It came through. And some of us say, oh, God, move a mountain. And God says, talk to somebody that knows how to move the mountain. Sometimes there are other ways. And sometimes we, we, we look beyond the wisdom side of things. Now, and, and can I say something here real quick? Most likely... Most likely, God is not going to give you a word that's going to contradict wisdom from his word. I mean, there are times he may say, walk around the walls for seven days. He may tell you something like they did in Jericho. He may give you something unusual. But as a rule, God's going to say, do what I've already told you in my word. That's wisdom. That's direction. That's my voice for your life. And then let me, let me share one last thing. I'm almost finished. One last thing I want to share. God also speaks to us, and God directs us through integrity. Everybody say integrity. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm so disappointed. I wanted to hear about being led of the Spirit. I'm going to jump into that next week, okay? I'll get into that next week. But I want to lay a foundation here first. Integrity. It's interesting. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 20 and 7, the righteous man walks in his integrity. In his integrity. 
His children are blessed after him. Proverbs 10:9 says, He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. You say, well, what do you mean, he who walks in integrity? He who does what's right. Have you ever had tough situations in life and you knew what was right, but you thought you could make it easier if you cut corners and kind of did it a slightly dishonest way? Let me give you a good example. When it comes time to file taxes, have you ever sent that form in thinking, man, I sure hope they don't audit me? What is integrity? Integrity is wholeness. It's completeness. It's doing what's right when I know what the right thing is to do. You know, sometimes people say, oh, God, I've got this real quandary here. I can do this, or I can, I, I can, it's really going to cost me a lot, or I can do this and be shady and hope I don't get caught. Oh, God, what should I do? Oh, Jesus, tell me what to do. God, God's like, I don't need to tell you what to do. Walk in integrity. Hello, amen. I'm going to get down there and amen myself here in a minute. What would God have me do? God, lead me. God says, do what's right. Walk in integrity. Integrity. It's interesting. Integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity, the twisting, the wrong path of the unfaithful destroys them. Psalm 78 tells us that David guided the people by his skillfulness, but also the integrity of his heart. Let me tell you what integrity is, and I'm almost finished, okay? Integrity is very simple. Integrity means wholeness and completeness. I heard a story one time that a, a pastor told... When he was a, a little kid, and this has been a long time ago, but when he was a little kid, his mom used to send him down to the grocery store and say, okay, get this and this and this and, and get, a, get a half pound of lunch meat. There's this particular kind of lunch meat their family liked, and it came in this big, long roll. He said, go back to the butcher and have him slice off a half pound of this lunch meat. And so this guy said, I would go down there and I'd watch this butcher slice off these little thin slices. And he had this big, long loaf and a little slice, little slice, little slice, weighted out a half a pound. He said he put the meat back in there, and, and to me it looked like it was the same size as it was when he started, but I knew he had sliced some off. But he said, I came back a week later to get more lunch meat, and I looked at that loaf, and it was down to almost nothing. And he said, that's what happens when we start losing our integrity. One little thin slice at a time, we start taking shortcuts. Until all of a sudden we wake up one day and our integrity is gone. In closing this morning, you say, well, Pastor, you've talked about a lot of things. Bottom line, God's going to speak to us based on where our hearts are. Based on where our hearts are. God's going to guide us based on where our hearts are. What is your attitude? What direction are you facing when you're asking from God? Maybe you're here this morning and if I've stepped on your toes, believe me, it's not intentional. I'm certainly not meant to offend anybody. Certainly don't want to put condemnation on anyone. But maybe as you've sat here today, maybe you've realized, you know, God's given me directions all around and then there's some things I've missed along the way. I want to pray this morning and I just want to ask God to adjust our hearts. Just make some adjustments in our hearts. Maybe you're sincere. Maybe you're walking with God, and maybe you've got some big decisions to make. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, 
I can't wait for next week's message. Well, we'll get there being led of the Spirit. But I want to make sure we understand God leads us in very practical ways to begin with. And this morning, I just want to pray that our hearts will be adjusted to line up with God today. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for your people today. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for direction. I pray for integrity. God, I pray that we would have a desire for your word, that we begin to learn and understand your word and spend time in your word so we can know your plans for our lives. God, I pray you'd surround us with godly people who can speak into our lives and give us wisdom and direction that we need for everyday living. God, above all else, we want to open our hearts to you today. And we just ask you to adjust our hearts. God, if there's anything in my heart that would keep me from hearing from you, I want to open my heart and let you remove that and, and change it and adjust my heart. God, if there's anything in my heart that would keep me from knowing your will for my life, I want to adjust my heart. God, work in my heart. Change my attitude and set me facing in the right direction so I can hear your word and follow you. God, I just pray today for every person in this room, God, speak into our lives. Speak into our lives the wisdom, the direction that we need. In Jesus' name.